0: Hello and welcome to the Amplifier Podcast, the show where the best in business discuss how you can grow your business best. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and today our host Don Cooper is joined again by a very special guest, Dr. BJ Fogg for part two of a two-part conversation. Dr. Fogg is the author of Tiny Habits, the founder of the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford University, and is on the show today to discuss how utilizing smart behavior design can assist an entrepreneur in their day-to-day life by helping to reduce bad habits for them, with part one of this conversation, diving deeper into how behavior design can help to create good habits that are likely to help entrepreneurs and their journey to success, so definitely make sure you check out our first episode with BJ Fogg after this one. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any episodes in the future. But with all of that said, I truly do hope that you enjoy this episode of the Amplifier podcast.
1: What about when you're trying to remove um, a bad habit or, or a behavior you want to get rid of in your life? Like what's yeah. a, How can you use your work to understand how to hack that better? got okay, good news
2: and bad news the good news is all behavior including stopping a behavior will come down to motivation ability and prompt so if you can remove motivation bam you're free of that habit if you can remove ability like make it impossible you're free if you can remove the prompt you're free but for many of these habits like this it's not that simple um Something like, uh, let's say, okay, I eat a little bit of chocolate every day, but I see it as a vitamin. I don't have a big chocolate issue, but let's pretend like I did. Let's pretend like I'm just eating way too much chocolate. And I'm like, oh my God. It looks like dark chocolate,
1: so it's probably healthy. Yeah,
2: 86%. (laughs) Yes, it's like a little, it's it's right next to my little vitamin dish. So I I do view it as like a health food. Um, But let's say I just eat chocolate, too much chocolate. So I can stop or reduce that by Decreasing my motivation. Well, in reality, somebody who's eating a ton of chocolate, are you gonna be able to reduce their motivation? No, that's not gonna work. Can you reduce their ability or make it harder to do? Yes. I mean, you can say, guess what? I have no chocolate in the house. So I'm not gonna buy chocolate. Choc- I'm not gonna have a dish sitting on my desk with chocolate, in it. right? Redesign your environment to make it harder to do. That's a, a reasonable option. The third one is, can you remove the prompt? for eating chocolate? And the answer there is probably no, because you're self-prompting. We're going back to pack person. It's the person prompt where you think, "Eh, chocolate would really be good right now, and you're motivated to have chocolate. So in that case, the only lever you have is the ability lever, and so you gotta focus in there. So you can systematically analyze the habits that you want to stop and say, can I reduce motivation? Can I make it harder to do? Can I remove the prompt? And if you can remove any one of those, the behavior won't happen. Then there are other habits. Now, this is the bad news. For things that like maybe chocolate addiction or other kinds of addiction, it can be a tangle of behaviors. It's just not one simple behavior. It's like, so don't think of breaking a bad habit. Think of untangling a bad habit. And then there's more of a process Um, and it's, doable in many cases just like untangling a phone cord and in other cases if it's a pretty serious addiction and if it's harming your life go i just say go find a specialist who that's what she does or he does all the time just find the right specialist to help you untangle that unwanted addiction in your life
1: great advice i mean i um a few months ago i guess it was four or five months ago Um, what I found interesting from a, a nutrition standpoint is if you're in a household with a bunch of your family members they don't all have the same motivations as you to eat healthy and to remove certain things so from an environment from a context standpoint there's a lot of foods that might be in the same places that you know if you go in to get something healthy if you're if your son or your daughter or your wife has like a big box of chocolates next there, you go, Oh, do I, do I eat the Pita healthy Pita whole wheat crisps, or do I eat that those Doritos? I'm not sure if those are either healthier, but, um, but yeah, the, the example is, is the same. If, if you, and what I found is that we had this cupboard that had all kinds of snacky foods in there. I kept my healthy protein snacks in there yeah. and, And I always had the ability, I always make sure I have lots of that stuff in the house, but I still found at 10 o'clock at night, if I was, if I was prompted with I'm hungry and I wanted to go get a protein bar that was low in sugar, I open up the cupboard and there's a Kit Kat bar right next to it. Uh And I went, Ooh, my motivation is low. My prompt is high and my ability, my ability just got wiped out. And just what I did, you know, just from the work that we did together is I removed all of my stuff from that cupboard. So I have no reason whatsoever to go in there. And I had my wife get me two baskets, one for my office and one for in the living room where I kept all of my healthy snacks. So the context changed. So when I got that physical prompt, I was motivated to eat healthier, healthier, I had a different place to go, and it transformed that that that, that risk of falling into a bad habit. Good job. What happens uh, in the you know for yourself or in the workplace when 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 you're trying to diagnose why someone or yourself isn't doing something? I remember a story um, a few years ago. I had a manager walk into my office, and he wanted to fire. Uh, an administrative member of his team. He says, she's not doing this. She's not doing that. I said, and she, and his, his conclusion right off the get-go was she doesn't want to do this job. And I went, yeah. huh, really? And I, you know, and I, said, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, she's not doing it. So therefore it's motivation.
2: Well, and where you're headed with this is in a really great direction. So, If somebody's not doing a behavior you want them to do, there is a step-by-step. All of this, everybody, this is a system. Behavior design is a system. When you learn to use it, you don't have to guess. You just go through the system. So for troubleshooting, number one, make sure that the behavior is clear. Let's say that uh, there's an environment where people are supposed to be wearing airplugs but they're not. And you just said, oh, have ear protection. Well, maybe you need to be clear. It's like, no, this means putting on these earmuffs or these earplugs, right? This exact type, be clear on the behavior, number one. Then if they're not doing it, then you look and see, is there a prompt? Is there something that reminds them to do it? So you don't start with motivation. You start with, well, is there a reminder? And it could be that the prompt is after you close your locker, that then is your reminder to put in the earplugs. So you might use an action prompt, or maybe there's another kind of way that you prompt to remind them. If they're being prompted and they still don't do it, the next thing you look at is abilities, still not motivation. It's like, well, is this easy to do? No, because the earplugs are at a different side of the office building, or they have to unwrap them, or they have to go buy them or something like that. So then you make it really easy to do the behavior. So now they're being prompt. The the behavior's clear. They're being prompted, and it's really easy. In most cases, they do the behavior. If they're still not doing the behavior, however, then you know by the process of elimination, you know it's a motivation problem, and then you want to dig into that and say, well, what is demotivating this, and so on. So, in the system of behavior design, when you're troubleshooting, there is a step-by-step process. And motivation comes last. If everything else fails, that's when you look at motivation. And that's when you can conclude it's a motivation problem. Most of the time, it's not a motivation problem, but sometimes it is. But you don't want to jump to that conclusion. If it's really a prompt problem where they're just not remembering and you get all worked up about motivation or you say you don't want this job and they're like, no, 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 you're. You're going to offend somebody, right? you know, I just needed to be a reminder. What can remind me to do this? So help people design prompts in their life, help make it easy to do. And then if they don't do it and it is a motivation problem, then you can deal with that head on. But that that's the last resort. That's, a very, that's when you're at the end of your rope is when you start messing around with the motivation issues.
1: And I think that that's counterintuitive to how a lot of people think, particularly young managers and supervisors, when someone's not doing something, they think it's an attitude, a motivational issue on the person. But there's so much more that comes before that. And and, and, I mean, obviously, there's ability and prompt and motivation. But even even I, I think when I look at this often, if you look at it from a behavior design standpoint, then it might not even be... The employee, it might be, let's look at the, the set of behaviors that we've created or not created here. Is the process that we have put together in our business, in our organization, the right process that's going to create the right right set of behaviors?
2: Right, exactly. And all of this can be systematized. The discovering of what those behaviors are, the um, designing those habits, the troubleshooting, all of it is can be systematized under the, and that's what's exciting about the book, Tiny Habits, yes, is a system for habits, but I also described the broader work of behavior design that you can use for any kind of behaviors, which could be one-time actions. It could be behaviors that happen on a temporary basis. It can be stopping behaviors. Habits is, are one type of behavior. Uh, but behavior design applies to all behavior types. Which includes habits, but there's other types as well.
1: And you know using your behavior model and that pack person, you have a lot of different ways you can design any individual behavior. But there's one of those that's not a great idea. Um, right? which which one is that because i i had uh, I had I actually had a I had a debate with my wife this morning yeah. she, she we were talking about some chores for my eighteen year old. And mm-hmm. she kept saying, well, you know, when we were young, we didn't have to be told ten times. We just remembered. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I, went, I, 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 I don't know, know about I don't know about you, Darling, but I think I had to be told ten times. <laughs> yeah, Don, I
2: I I know you're you're pitching me a softball here so I can hit home run. But yeah, I don't we... know, there there's a variety of mistakes that get made. Let me start with sure. one. Yeah. And then I can go to others if uh you're looking for others. One is one the most common mistake is to give somebody something abstract like clean up your room or be safe or be more productive and then just motivate that abstraction we're going to motivate you to be more productive that's a mistake that's not behavior design you're not because in behavior design you define the behavior and
1: specific you make your actions to
2: yeah specific action and you make it easy to do Whereas this mistake where you're motivating somebody towards something abstract, that's the opposite of behavior design. But so often we do that just so often. It's like, Oh, please eat healthy eating healthy is important for your life and your grandkids. And I hear it. I
1: hear it with a lot of contractors all the time in our space where they, they say to other employees, work safe, work safe, work safe. Like what does that mean? Yeah, exactly.
2: So, so that's one of the main mistakes in behavior design that's not behavior design, but in traditional ways. The other one is assuming that information alone will lead to behavior change. Like, oh, if we just give information about, oh, let's say the, uh, the statistics on accidents here, that will then change somebody's attitude around safety, which will then change somebody's behavior around safety. That sequence of information changing attitudes, and then changing behavior is a very weak sequence. It it can work, but it's the exception, not the rule. So relying you, on information you, you alone- call that, You call that status. the
1: information fallacy or something? It was a- Yeah,
2: the inf- I call it the information action fallacy. So you can go, boom, information alone isn't the key to changing behavior. Right.
1: And what about remembering? Because I don't remember to do these things. <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, it depends what it is, actually. Um, you know, part of that is just providing the a good prompt at the right time. I mean, that's what a prompt essentially is. It's a way for you to remember to do something. And if you're not remembering to do something that you want to do and you can do, then it is a prompt design challenge, which is not so tough. I mean, we are designing prompts for ourselves throughout our workday. I mean writing little you know post-it notes putting things on our to-do list putting things on our calendar et cetera, et etc cetera. we're good at prompt design we just have to know when to apply it and we just have to be realistic that when a behavior doesn't happen let's start with making sure there's a prompt and be explicit and deliberate about designing the prompt
1: you know in in our space i see a lot of what I would say, the companies will have, you know, it's a very compliance industry. So there's lots of procedures that are eight pages long, and they've got 47 steps. um, And then people don't use them, don't follow them, because they're not a process, or they're not a set of, of behaviors. It's just, it's information and instruction. It's not action. Can you describe how um, how that can be done better to, to create that set of actions, that set of behaviors. Yeah. It's, not, it's not about eight pages of instructions. I mean, the learning part might be valuable, but, but that's really ability, isn't it? That's really training.
2: Yes, exactly. It, it, it comes down to, for these more uh, complicated types of behavior change, whether that's sleeping better or eating better or getting more physical movement, not talking about just one behavior like eat blueberries and now you're eating better it's a collection or a constellation of behaviors. so i I suspect in safety it's that as well so just be really clear about what behavior what is the behavior that you do and when do you do it so just be really really clear about that the when speaks to uh the prompt you know what what is the time when you do this behavior and then I would think as a leader or a manager or as a behavior designer, you would say, how do we make this really easy to do? Now, because most people, a lot, well I don't wanna say most, some people won't know how to make something easy to do. They'll just say, oh, it's hard. But if you make it so easy to do, let's say, for example, let's go to my HOA board meeting. And let's say that the word did not get out that we want everybody to wear masks to the meeting because the county just called for that again. Well, we could send people home to get their masks, but instead we could have masks right there at the door. So as they walk in, somebody hands them a mask and they don't have one. So they get prompted by the person at the door. We make it really easy to do by handing them the mask. The motivation's kind of built in because one, my neighbors want to stay safe and two, they don't wanna look stupid or like a rebel to their, Neighbors, so that's how you would behavior design that one. The mistake would be uh, uh, to to make it hard to do. Say, go home and get your mask. You know, you aren't going to respond to that very well. When you make a behavior easy to do, that people want to do, they tend to thank you. It's like thank you so much. You know, so um, that's that, hypothetical because that we didn't do that. Um, I was not in charge of the meeting today, so that didn't happen. <laughs> I was like. It could have happened,
1: but it didn't. You know, I, I've i always been a big advocate in my companies to um, provide lots of training, lots of resources, books, put off courses, provide lots of role play, put off training seminars. And there were certain things that people just couldn't do. It wasn't it didn't make it easy enough to train them we actually had to take it another step and you know the example was we sell a lot of complicated industrial solutions that require at different steps in as you interact with a customer you've got to collect a lot of information you've got to ask a lot of questions and inevitably my team would you know hang up to them a lot of my team are very technical they know how to execute the work but they don't might not be instinctive or experienced in habits to ask all the questions to help that flow and so we would train them lots and here's all the questions you need to ask here's why you need to ask it and it still wasn't happening <clears throat> and so what we did to make it easier is we just took all of that and we we already managed those business opportunities in a tool in a you know in a crm and so we just baked all that right into the system. So when they opened up an opportunity, it said, "At this step, here's the 18 things you got to find out, and here's the set of questions you've got to ask." So nine months ago, my you know my, some of my operations people would say, like we we'd be reviewing a piece of business, and I'd say, "Well, what do we know about this, 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 and this?" And they went, "Oh, I don't know." And I, would, "Did you meet with the customer?" "Yeah, but I found out all the engineering specifications, but I didn't find out about any of the business information." And they said, this is impossible, Don. You can't do this in one conversation. It's impossible. I went, oh, okay. And I kept saying, no, you can do this all in one conversation. You don't need to call the customer back five times and annoy the customer because you keep going back because you yeah, need right. to have three conversations. And so we just built this tool that, said, that prompted them and gave them the tools to say, ask these 18 things in that first meeting. Fast forward to three months ago. And one of those operations managers said to me, Don, this is so easy. Like you can get all this information in one meeting. And I'm like, (laughs) 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 you know, and you know, and a year ago, I would have called people an idiot for not figuring that out. But what I realized is I was the idiot because I was training them, but I still wasn't making it easy enough to do. And by adding that next element of easy, now, everyone thinks it's easy to do. And it was, and now it is easy to do because they don't have to remember what are the 18 things they need to ask the client. And so let me build really- on
2: that. That's a great example. When something is easy to do, it doesn't require lots of motivation to do it. And this is an important insight from my behavior model. The graphical version, which doesn't come across in audio, I mean, I could say V equals MAT, but there's an X and Y axis version. Uh, of the same model. And what that makes clear is the easier behavior is, the less motivation somebody has to do it. So if you can make it really easy, like you did, Don, then people don't have to be super motivated. If it's hard, then it does require motivation. And motivation won't always be there. So by making it easier to do, yeah, you get more compliance, you get more adherence, you get more whatever, people are doing it, in part, because the motivation doesn't have to be very high to do it. So the easier the behavior, the more likely it's going to happen because it's not so dependent on levels of motivation.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that I actually don't know the answer to because I like to learn something new every time I talk oh, to you as is. well. But when you think about behavior design and you're at, you're creating, you know, particularly in business environments, when you... When you take behavior design and do it really well, what kinds of improvements and changes in business results and be, you know, have you seen and heard of when, when someone has gone from poor behavior design to really applying your method, methods to make, make a dramatic change?
2: Wow, where do I start in this? I'll start with the health domain. With patients? Yeah, And the behavior design here are the new habits we want you to do. It's the difference between doing, doing those habits and not doing those habits. In terms of, let's say, personal productivity, it's the difference between feeling guilty about not finishing the project to finishing the project ahead of time. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's a big deal. When it comes to something more like personal nutrition, where you're just like, oh, I'm gonna eat healthier. I need to eat out there that's motivating and abstract thing. And then when you just put it down to the nitty gritty of what am I, what snack am I going to eat in the afternoon and how do I make that easy to do? And then what breakfast am I going to have? It's the difference between feeling bad that you didn't stick to some abstract thing versus man, I'm changing how I eat and I'm feeling better. So it really is a dramatic difference. Uh, often between failure and success. And people love it. It, it. I mean, sometimes, and you hinted on this, Don. sometimes when people use behavior design, they're like, oh my gosh, that worked. Can it really be this easy? And it's like, yeah, if you use behavior design, if you use behavior design in the right way, um, many, not all, but many types of behavior changes are really easy to do. Now there are some difficult ones, like if the behavior is unpleasant, if the behavior is painful, that's never easy to design for because people are going to be motivated to do unpleasant or painful or embarrassing behaviors. They don't want to do that. So there is some, there are some exceptions, but uh, taking those exceptions off the table of behaviors, now, that motivation are needs to
1: be the motivation for unpleasant behaviors needs to be really high. I, I learned that firsthand when I was seventeen. I went through um, I went through your boot camp this year, which was way more pleasant than this story. I went I went through airborne parachute training, military wow. training when I was seventeen, and that you know that is like the hell week kind of thing you see when you see things about the Navy SEALs. They all the behaviors that they put you through are designed to make you crack physically, so that they can get you uh, get you mentally tough. And I saw some of the most physically fit, capable, way better ability guys than me drop like flies in the, in the, when they combined mental, physical challenge, physical ability was hard and mental ability was pushed. And then they prompted you saying, just get up and quit, just get up and quit. And it was a combination of mental ability and physical Uh ability with a prompt. I don't, I didn't recognize that then I recognize it now, what they, they were challenging ability and then prompting you with the action of just quit. Cause we don't want losers on this group. We started with 56 uh, young guys and 34 of us passed. And wow. um, it was, you know, and it was all hard to do physical pain. They ran us. They, I mean, it was really taxing. Um,
2: now, now, I, I, I like that example done, but I want to be clear. That's not a model for how to oh. <laughs> company. Oh, that's well, that's that's a different model. The, the military is an exception where they can really boost motivation, they can really get you to do hard behaviors that you don't want to do because they have kind of total control over your life. Employees, at least in today's world, man, if 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 you're doing that kind of thing, they're like, I'm out of here, I'm gonna go get a different job. Right. Yeah. So you can't really now At Stanford, I kind of have the same uh, opportunity the military has because I give grades and the students really care about their grades and it's temporary. Notice it's not a habit. So if, if I have a deadline for a project or if I have a really hard exam, I can get them to work really hard temporarily because I'm dangling this carrot in front of them and they really want the grades. But most of our workplace environments are not like the military. And they're not like a classroom where you are working with motivated students who care a lot about grades.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think, you know, I think back on that, on that particular physical, mental challenging sort of set of behaviors. The motivator was I wanted to get my parachute wings. The motivator was I wanted to go home and make everyone proud in my core and in my family. And the motivator was also. That I didn't want to be seen by all of those people—that social group of family, friends, and military colleagues—to have being seen as someone who dropped out. And so yeah. those there, there was a whole web of behaviors in there that I was super committed to not fail. And yeah. so there was there was there was nothing that they could put me through, including all of those physical, mental prompts, where I was going to back out. I mean, if I had broken a leg or something like that, that you know that would have put me out of the game, but. It wouldn't have been a quitting exercise, but
2: super high motivation, super high, and that's great. But we don't always have that uh, opportunity where the motivation is so high and it's enduring, you know? For the most part, motivation will fluctuate over time. We'll have a different motivator in a different moment, somebody who's really, really, really cares about your company and they want to be productive. Their kid has a health crisis. Guess what happens? Their motivation to be productive for you drops because their motivation to help their kid is going to swamp out the other motivation. So our motivation could even goes-
1: could even be their sleep. You know, I've you know I've seen I've seen team members who are super motivated and they they work really hard and they they actually work too much and then they burn themselves out after you know a week or ten days of going really hard on a project and then they their motivation is just gone because they physically or mentally wore themselves out and then the ne- that next week you know, all of their results are, you know, are in the gutter because they did too much. That motivation gave them a high performance and then they had this wave of, of, of lack of motivation that caused the opposite effect pretty, pretty dramatically. B.J., how can people work with you and how do they learn more? I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got your book right here this, and yeah. I have it dog-eared and I've got it with all sorts of little reference points because I refer to it as I'm thinking about behavior design all the time. So, yeah, well, I'll, I'll give the best.
2: There's two great answers and there's ones that are free and simpler, but the best answers are if you really want to understand this breakthrough system, read Tiny Habits. Um, there's a lot in the book. And yeah, I could have made it a shorter book, but I wanted to share the depth and uh, the richness of the system of behavior design. And so that book is all my work. I'm not summarizing other people's stuff. I'm not padding it with, you know, long stories. There's a, about there's a
1: ton here. more in there than simply the yeah. one mechanism of Tiny Habits. The title says Tiny Habits, but there, it's got a lot of information yeah. packed in there that you can use.
2: So that's the that's the gold standard. The other thing at that level is my two day boot camp, uh, which I just completed. If it's in person, it's two days in a row, about nine hours each day, and that's intensive training with me with a small group. That's terrific, um, and we're also doing that remotely. So the boot camp in the book. If you can't step up to that level, or if you wanna work up to it, uh, do the free Tiny Habits program. There's a five-day program in Tiny Habits. Go to tinyhabits.com slash join, and you'll work with a coach that I trained, and you do it over email. The total time commitment over the course of the five days is 35 minutes. So that's a small commitment uh, to um, learn a lot about habits and some about behavior design. Uh, the baby step into the book would be to go to audible.com, find my book, and just listen to the preface. So I had them put the 15-minute preface in front of the paywall. They weren't going to do this, but one thing led to another, and I negotiated with them, and they pulled the whole preface, and you you just go to the webpage and click a button. You don't have to log in. That's probably how to get started, just get a feeling for what the book's about, um, if you want to look at my broader work, including my Stanford uh research and projects, bjfog.com is the dashboard or the springboard to looking at other things that I'm doing.
1: And when are you going to offer a booster uh next level experience for all of us, all of us veteran boot campers who just want to keep diving in more? It's funny you would say that. I had um uh, uh, I had the the
2: Roz Rosalind, Michael and Roz Rosalind yes. at my bootcamp this week, who are oh. part of the Genius Network. Yeah, and they inspired me. Uh, stay tuned, stay tuned, um, There will at some point be something for graduates of behavior design bootcamp like yourself. So we can continue learning and sharing and optimizing. Um, but for now, the boot camp, just- the book and the boot camp is a thing. After that, people say, well, what else can I do? What else can I read? There's nothing else to read. You are now at the forefront. You are now blazing trails
1: that haven't been- Other than been that, you gotta either, other than that, until you produce the next program, you know, we'll have to come to just be your lab assistant.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but the, the point I wanna make here, Don,
1: is there
2: comes this point when you read the book and come to my camp that then you put it into practice. That's exactly the frontier. There's no other book to read. There's no other thing that training for me, yeah, I can train you more, but you are ready to put into practice, and that's how you really learn the most.
1: yeah, the the, the thing I find about once I've learned, I mean, i've I, I had the pleasure of not just reading your book but going into a real deep dive for about ten hours over ten weeks, just on chapters in the book with you before I did the boot camp, which was, an absolute privilege, um, but you know, once I had all that foundational insight, and and I was great that it was stretched out over time because it gave yeah. me all. I was able to make all these connections, so I could start to figure out how to apply it. And applying it has been really interesting, and I, I've I've applied it in a lot of unique ways to help my people be more successful by figuring out how to get incompetencies off of their accountabilities to to uh, change in the way they design uh, quarterly rocks in the EOS system, to uh, designing, uh, you know, redesigning goals and, and a, a lot of fun things. Because once you learn this work, it's almost like you view everything through that lens of behavior yeah. design. Because at yeah. the end of the day, uh, even when we sleep and everything else we do in our life, it's humans take action in everything we do, which are just behaviors. And so I see the whole world yeah. through that lens now. Yeah, and
2: you know, and it's such a great feeling to have that. Let me give a quick example: um, the county parks here where I live about ten years ago were threatened; they were going to shut them down, etc. So I brought behavior design to the county parks team, and all, all the parks, because of behavior design, all the parks stayed open. They actually acquired new parks. Everybody stayed employed. So this daunting problem that was in the newspaper, like, oh no, we're gonna to have to close our parks. Da, 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 da. I didn't know what the answer was, but I knew with behavior design, we could figure out the best answer and we did. And it actually led to a million dollars in revenue year after year until eight years later, they passed a tax measure. So in other words, some pretty straightforward behavior design, saved the parks, brought in a million dollars of income, <laughs> eight million plus over the years and it's a great feeling just any challenge it's like well I might not know the answer but I know how to tackle this problem and it's just the steps of behavior design.
1: and it can be applied to something as simple as losing 10 pounds or brushing your dog's teeth or helping your entire workforce be safe Um, or creating new successful goals for your company. All of it can be accomplished with this methodology. So there's no small measures in tiny habits. (laughs) (laughs) And
2: Don, this is one reason I really appreciate you inviting me to be on your podcast and talk about this. For me, what matters is helping people be happier and healthier Mm -hmm. and reaching an audience that will then reach thousands and many thousands and health is on the line, but also human life and safety is on the line. And so for me to be able to help people be healthier and safer, and in some cases, frankly, not have life-threatening accidents, that's amazing. That's, that's an important use of my work. So I really appreciate you inviting me to share.
1: Well, the goal over the next 10 years is to help 5,000 industrial companies have zero injuries annually, which when I did the math on that in the industrial space, it, um, it's at least 10 million people that are, would be impacted by that bef- between coworkers and families. Okay. Um, and so that's my goal is to use behavior design along with imp- you know, embedding it in some software and some tools to help make it easier Um, to uh, help 5,000 companies never hurt a single person. So
2: that's so great. That's that's Um, the goal. That's terrific. Um, Don, call on me when you need my help on that. I am super, I mean, this aligns with my life's mission and my career mission, which is kind of one and the same. I'm so glad to hear how you're using behavior design. Uh, Let me know how I can be helpful.
1: I will stay in touch, my friend. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you.
0: And there you have it. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about or get in touch with either Dr. BJ Fogg or our host, Don Cooper, then you can do so at any time by following their links in the description of this episode. Make sure you leave us a 5-star rating, it truly does help out the show a lot, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss any future episodes. But with all that said, I truly do hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Amplifier Podcast, and we cannot wait to see you here next time.